considering how many times like I bump into the table or the microphone or the microphone is my favorite. <laughs> Hey, Bubblies, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. It's that podcast where I talk about the shows I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today Laura's back in the bubble, but not because I imprisoned her or anything, but because she loves being here, especially today as we get all gothy emo about Netflix's The Sandman, because we are the Gaming Girls. Yay! <laughs> That's like my favorite title for us right now. Me too. And then I tried to think about it and I was like, we've only done good omens. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I don't think they've announced when season two for good omens will drop yet, but I think it's getting closer and closer. They keep releasing more photos and stuff. So, I mean, if you're going to keep dropping things like that, you got to gotta, gotta uh, deliver at some point. <laughs> exactly so but yeah I'm sure we'll get to American Gods at some point because I do want to listen to the audiobook of that first before I watch the show yeah I think for once I want to do that too (laughs) for once whoa (laughs) yeah I haven't listened to audiobooks until after I've watched you know game and stuff I don't know why but it's just worked out that way interesting um So, yeah, let's flip it around. Yeah. (laughs) And I've been on a bit of a Neil kick with audiobooks. So, like, I recently finished Stardust. Love that. And I think we will, because I remember we did watch the movie, like, many, 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 many years ago. And Tim liked it. I don't remember having any strong feelings one way or another. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll revisit it because I know people tend to be pretty split on that movie. Yeah, I don't understand why. Uh, but then again, I'm biased because I'm in the camp that loves it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those movies where I feel like I'm homesick from work or whatever and it's on. Be like, yes. Mm. Hmm. All right. Yeah, because we know someone that hates it. <laughs> with a passion with a passion but he's not alone but his reason is very specific and I don't think it's story related so (laughs) all I can tell you is it'd be great to torture him for the podcast (laughs) (laughs) we need to be nicer to him (laughs) I think sometimes we (laughs) to gang up on him a bit like in in good in all loving fun yeah you know, <laughs> to be fair, though, <laughs> we've talked about, you know, uh, using that similar reason to torture everyone from, from our Nick Cage group. So fair we'll all get our turn eventually. And I still want to torture you with the CW crossover episodes, which I'm getting more oh. and more like, <laughs> like, I see. <laughs> <laughs> That's the excuse for this podcast is just so I could torture my friends and then they can torture friends and so on and so on. Yeah, it's like pay it forward, but sadistically. (laughs) (laughs) And may I just point out of the four of us, 
I was the one who was the most resistant to watching Nicolas Cage movies because I was not looking forward to it. So technically, I was your first torture victim. And now I'm, I'm paying it forward. Yes. You've reached that point. Of <laughs> being able but, you to know, spread the misery. <laughs> torture is a, a bit of a theme here in Sandman as well. I mean, like you alluded to in your intro, poor Sandman gets like, captured and imprisoned and starved not that he i guess needs to does he need to eat i don't know but it would be uncomfortable like he's he's naked he's without his powers he's trapped like Mm -hmm. poor guy (laughs) yeah so i like to also trap my tolerables and keep them without food or water for extended periods of time as well that's how recordings work Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, we are here to talk about Netflix's The Sandman, starring Tom Sturridge, uh, Boyd Holbrook, Patton Oswalt, Vivian Akampong, Vanessa Samanier, Mason Alexander Park, Razan. Oh, shit. I didn't write that one out phonetically. (laughs) I think that was close. I'm so sorry. Uh, Razan Jamal, Sandra James Young. David, David Thulis, and like a shitload of others. Jenna Coleman, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Currently not available through your library yet, but the season recently ended. It has been renewed for a second one. Woohoo! Finally. So, when is that happening? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, they took long enough to announce the renewal. So I know. Who knows? I. I but <sighs> the pacing of this show in terms of its production is similar to how long dream is captured in the basement <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> so we'll go ahead and get started so this is your spoiler warning and brief synopsis uh, what imdb says about this show upon escaping after decades of imprisonment by a mortal wizard dream the personification of dreams sets out to reclaim his lost equipment what I says about this is, it's so dreamy we me. And that's from <laughs> Doctor Who. Because <laughs> Nick Frost that... Santa says it to the 12th Doctor. It's so dreamy we me. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> a, a it definitely side, fits. A quick side note. There was a tweet I saw a couple weeks ago. And they're just, it was something along the lines of like, watching other shows uh, with Whovians is annoying because they're always like, they were in Doctor Who. And I do that. I felt very called out <laughs> with that tweet. Yeah. Look, I do it as well, but I do it for like everything I'm nerdy about. Like David Thewlis, you mentioned, that's Lupin in Harry Potter. And that's how I remember him now is that's Lupin. Mm-hmm. Not your name is David. I have to be like, oh crap, what's his name again? <laughs> Yeah, it happens. Whatever. No big deal. So we will go ahead and then we'll start with our general thoughts and then segue into a couple of talking points and some just overall fan gushing and whatnot. So, Laura, what are your general thoughts on the Sandman? I was so excited when this was announced. This this comic is amazing. It's so dark and the subject matter is so sometimes subtle, but also um so moving and I just thought like even back in its day it was just something different and 
it was special. And then, you know, to see that this was finally being done and that Neil Gaiman was going to be involved enough where you you didn't have to be worried about uh, like it being done wrong. And then also, you know, coming relatively fresh off of Good Omens as well. Like he is on a roll. This is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And then when it finally came out, I I binged this, like proper binged it. I did not stop watching it. Mm-hmm. I loved it so much. And like uh, I had no idea who Tom Sturridge was, who plays Dream, aka Morpheus. But I was like, oh my God, he's he's perfect. Like his mannerisms, the look, uh, his voice. It's just like, yeah, this I could see this being dreamy. This is this is good. This is really good. And, you know, it just kept building from there for me. Like, I really loved it. Yeah, I completely agree. I love this show. I've watched it a full three times. I binged it when it, uh, shortly after it came out. And then the kids were off, were gone for a weekend. So hubby and I had time to binge a series. So I picked that one for us and he loved it. And we finished it. Hubby's not a binge watcher, but it's always fun when we do find something that we both equally enjoy watching because then he will sit and want to watch multiple episodes. And that's what we did. And that's awesome. And he he loved it. He really liked it. I knew he would. Um, and yeah, so I was so then I watched it a third time for pod prep. And it's just such an amazing series. I completely agree about. Uh, Tom Sturridge about he's basically dream like if Morpheus is the personification of dreams then yes Tom is the actual personification of Morpheus I think the casting in this was done so wonderfully and it's just like in the imagery and the way the the series was filmed it's literally like the the comics have come to life yeah and it's they did such a great job I agree that having Neil involved really kind of helped take away some of any major anxieties about how this was going to turn out what liberties were going to be taken because there's always going to be changes made from book to screen yeah but knowing that he not only approved them but like had input the entire way Mm -hmm. was really reassuring because I mean we've all seen with other popular books or stories turned into film or TV where that can go horribly wrong. And, you know, this isn't the first attempt with Sandman either. Mm -hmm. So I'm really pleased with how this all turned out. Um, And, you know, that made me really nervous when they were like, are they going to renew it or not? Mm -hmm. Please, there's so much more yet. (laughs) Oh my God, so much fucking more. So Uh, In today's episode, we're going to be focusing mostly on the TV series, but we will probably talk about uh, some of the stuff that some of the storylines and whatnot and changes from the uh, comics. I have, I checked out from the library, uh, book one of the Sandman, and that's issues one through 20, I think. Can I just say, I love Mm -hmm. the cover art on that book. Yes. It's it's beautiful. And it looks like the show you know the you know I know we've talked about like the cinematography piece of other things before like with the Nick Cage movies we most recently talked about Mm 
mm-hmm. how much Adam really loved that movie that I hate so much, <laughs> Prisoners <laughs> of the Ghostland, um, because that movie was so visually loud mm-hmm. for me. Uh, but you know, at the same time, I can appreciate the artistic license that went into that. But if we want to talk about cinematography that I appreciate, not just for the artistic license, but just how beautiful and engaging it is, the Sandman did it. Like they put mm-hmm. so much thought into this show. I'm so glad they did. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I completely agree. They did. I love it. I love it so much. Um, and then one of the first bits of trivia on IMDb DB is uh, Dave McKean, who created the covers for the comic series, came out of, quote, Sandman retirement to design <laughs> the credit sequences for this series. Oh. Love it. And that is only going to help make this show that much more amazing. That's just that's fucking brilliant. Yep, I agree. So. Yeah, so as we said, this is not the first time that this show or this book has been attempted to be made into a screen adaptation. So what did you think of the casting for this? Because there was, and I don't know how true this was, but apparently in July 1995, Wizard Magazine published its casting choices for the Sandman film. And... (laughs) I just want to read this off real quick because I thought it was kind of interesting. It's very 1995. Uh, Johnny Depp as Dream. Winona... You. <laughs> <laughs> Okie uh, Winona... <laughs> Winona Ryder as Death. I can see that. Sir Alec Guinness as Destiny. I don't know who that is. I don't either. Uh, Zelda Rubenstein. Did he make the beer? <laughs> Or the world record book. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Hold on. Let me do a highlight in Google. That's all I know about Guinness, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Are those two things? <laughs> I mean, he's knighted. He had to have been good at, at something. something. Right? So oh. those are Obi-Wan. Oh. <laughs> Went Obi-Wan vodka, no me. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> It's going to haunt us forever. <laughs> okay, okay. I can okay. see him as Destiny. Okay, fine. Okay. Zelda Rubenstein as Despair. That's another unknown for me, but cool name. I think she was in like the Poltergeist movies. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, she, so she was in like Poltergeist. Okay. Yeah, all right, all right. Mean Witch. It's, it's, 16 it's pass- Candles. It's passable. It's, it's yeah. fine. It's, it's fine. Katie Lang as Desire. Which, when you look at how Desire is drawn in the book, it's very Katie Lang esque. So yeah, no, that's that that's a really good fit there, um, mm-hmm. for sure. And then Tori Amos as Delirium, Roddy Piper as Destruction. I'm trying not to laugh at that one when, because when I read it earlier, I was like, "Oh, Rowdy Roddy Piper." <laughs> uh, Woody Allen as Lucine. No, I'm going to say you. Yeah, I'm going to say you to that one. Christopher Walken as Lucifer Morningstar. I'm sorry. That would just make me laugh too much. Yeah, I don't know if I, I, I like Christopher Walken and everything, but I don't know. I mean, he would be brilliant because he's brilliant and like damn near everything, but I don't know that I, I like it. So yeah, no, no. All right. Uh, Alan Rickman as Kane and Dom DeLuise as Abel. I'm going to 
okay, I, I'm fine with Dom DeLuise as Abel, but don't you think Alan Rickman would have made a better Lucien? Yes. Like yes. a million times better than Woody Allen. What were they thinking? Sorry. <laughs> who knows? But I don't know. 1995, I don't know who I would put in Kane's place because like I'm thinking back and I'm like, I was a nine-year-old. I was not culturally aware. <laughs> I'd have to I'd have to think about it because I didn't really think about it. I just saw the list and it made me giggle for the most part. Uh, yeah, let's it see. makes me laugh. And then we've got Christian Slater as the voice of Matthew the Raven. I like that. I like that. And then this might be one of my favorites. Gilbert Godfrey as the voice of Mervyn Pumpkinhead. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I, I, I don't enjoy his voice, but it would be really funny and appropriately. So I think it would absolutely work. So that well, was a... Those were casting choices from 1995 by a magazine, but this time around, we got that handful of actors I listed off uh, at the beginning, yeah. and everyone, I mean, I no notes on the casting. I loved it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I did too, and you know, I try to avoid the articles and everything in the lead up to a show being released, just because I don't want to spoil the experience. And but, you know, I was aware of some of the casting situations mm -hmm. and especially after the show released the reaction to some of them, some um, positive, which I agree with, and some extremely negative. And to me, it seemed like the most controversial choices were Lucifer, death, and maybe to a degree desire. Mm hmm. What, how do you feel about those characters in particular? All right. Well, Death, let me see. Let me make sure I get the uh, actress's name up here. Okay. All right. Where are you, Death? Oh, that's... Always waiting. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that just... <laughs> I just said that. <laughs> All right. Is it Kirby Howell... Baptista? Baptiste? Yes. Yes. Um, so, yes. Kirby is amazing at as death. Um, she, I think, completely encapsulates that character and just kind of that difference between her and death. I love how, or her and dream. I love yeah. how death is happy and positive and... <laughs> Death is so fucking emo. Oh my God. It cracks me up. I love it so much. He's just so pouty feeding the, I'm just feeding the birds and feeding the pigeons. Like, oh my God, suck it yeah. up. Stop. It's you got a the tiny baby. But I loved that. Not just for the contrast of like emo, emo goth white boy dream and, <laughs> and all, all that junk going on. But like, you got the real like sibling dynamic going on mm -hmm. between them too, like older sister, pouty younger brother. Mm -hmm. Like I, I thought that was so well done on like all of those relationship layers. Mm -hmm. um, but death for me, she was my favorite. Oh, I know. She's as much so as good. I love Dream, and you know, the show's his show, right? But like, <laughs> she was my favorite. I didn't know what to expect um, in terms of the, you know, series adaptation. 
because you know people are kind of weird about death right mm-hmm. they either go they either go uh you know too horror with it or they go like too intimidating with it like thinking like the four horsemen of the apocalypse type stuff mm-hmm. i was just completely blown away by her performance i i thought she was amazing it's like yeah if that's how death comes to greet us, sure, I'm I'm game. Whenever it's my time, I'm looking forward to it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then because there's also that brilliant line about how, you know, she says that people fear her realm, but they enter dreams willingly every single night. And death is just a much just as essential and a part of life as birth itself. And I just, I love how the idea of death and not just the character, but just the idea of death and everything, how beautifully it's put. Cause you're right. I think there is, we always associate death of with uh, a negative emotions, the, the sadness and the grief, but, and we don't take the time to see like the beauty in it and the way that it's done in the series is so amazing. Just with the subtle, I mean, just with Kirby's performance and being so sweet and caring and just a warm face to see, to help guide you to that next stage of existing. It was uh, chills. (laughs) Right. And especially because, and people who have read the comics and all that will know this as well we don't just see her take someone you would expect to die. Like mm-hmm. you would have a, a pre-acceptance of death. Like, yes, she does take an old man, but she also takes younger people, you know, and during what would have been happy moments of their lives. Uh, and even, a, you know, a, a, an infant and mm-hmm. you don't like, you find yourself feeling sad about those things because objectively they are sad to a degree, but the way that it's handled, it kind of softens the blow mm-hmm. not diminishing the significance of it, but more like, Oh, you know, I never looked at it in this perspective before. So I really appreciate death as a character, regardless of the portrayal that we're mm-hmm. talking about. I I think it would be the hardest one to get to get that emotional complexity across through a TV show. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. So, and I just, and like you said, with the sibling dynamic between those two, it just, it feels so natural and real. It the did. Way that she's like there for him, but then also just kind of like, making sure to like kind of snap them, help snap them out of it. But I mean, she does for him what she does for all the people that she escorts to death. She walks them through kind of that process of him being all gothy, emo, sad. Yeah. <laughs> and she's you know, like, though, what, your, your adventure is over. So what, you're just going to sit here and be a, <laughs> be a loser. <laughs> no, but that you have a point though. I mean, that illustrated without having to say it, explicitly how much death cares for the people in her charge Mm -hmm. to treat them the same way with the same kindness and patience and compassion as she does her own sibling like 
that speaks volumes to me like my favorite character because mm-hmm. it's not it's like you said you know we we it, she starts with taking an old man so you're just kind of like okay old man. yeah eases you into it right yeah <laughs> and then uh and then the the young gentleman that was like on his honeymoon you're like oh that's rough yeah. and then like the baby and you're just like oh come on <laughs> <laughs> but then we also see that she escorts uh, we don't know what happened to this person but someone just laying in an alleyway uh dying and so she's there with her friendly smile and she treats them all that way and I just love that kind of open acceptance of it doesn't kind of like it doesn't matter what you did this is where like everyone needs help during this stage right and that's Mm -hmm. her main goal is to kind of help ease them into it and have them accept it and not put up such a fight or struggle I mean the one the one guy that was on his honeymoon I mean they're all like a little bit more time, more time, right? But they come to accept their fate and they take her yeah. hand and then the wings flutter away. Oh, I love it. It's just so chilling. They do it so well and so subtly too. The wing flapping, the shadow of the wings. Oh, <laughs> that's just going to be me for like the next hour or whatever. It's just being like, oh. I mean, that was probably my favorite episode of the the first season and it's really hard for me to make that declaration because I enjoyed them all so much but there's there's just so much going on in what seems like a very run-of-the-mill conversation you know throughout the episode Mm -hmm. it's so much deeper than it looks you know Mm -hmm. um I just I thought it was beautifully done and then to pair that episode and to have within that same episode the backstory and the eventual uh reunion of dream and hob (laughs) help me here because the other day i kept calling him hobgoblin (laughs) (laughs) i'm not going to be able to help you now that you've said that but hob Hob gadling i think that that sounds right see i love how she death got dream into this mess and you know dream becomes a better person for it mm-hmm. a more empathetic person because you know you know death is accepting of everyone and helping of everyone regardless of who they are what they've done or haven't done and dream is is not so <laughs> inclined like he he is the most judgy he's the most judgy bitch there is he's like, so fucking judgy and he can be just downright mean yeah (laughs) I love it so much (laughs) it's like damn okay you get to see everyone's dreams and I understand that that's probably fucked up but super judgy super judgy sorry I just realized who the voice of uh Merv in the series did you know no Mark Hamill oh now that you say that yes that was one thing that Aaron pointed out to me when we were watching it and yeah oh neat i mean how do you go wrong with this casting seriously Um, i really can't no i'm sorry go ahead continue i didn't mean to interrupt no that's okay but you know we were also talking about other characters that were seen as controversial in terms of casting Mm -hmm. like that's controversy 
was unfortunately race motivated, mm-hmm. which is just bullshit. Yeah. Like they're endless beings. They can choose to look how they choose to look. Deal with it. Um, well, exactly. And we see that when Dream goes to hell and he encounters Nada, right? And then he changes his physical form from how we have seen him. But then it's also then again illustrated in Dream of a Thousand Cats because Dream is a cat. So it's whatever these species, beings, whatever, whatever they believe, that's how they're going to see Dream. That's how they're going to see the endless. So literally anybody, it's whatever. But I bring that up because I think it's a common theme across the uh, controversial castings because, you know, we have um, Desire, who's very, I guess, non-binary is a good way to put it. Androgynous is another way. Yes. um, Which I think is completely appropriate. Yes. Um, and, And... because you know desire can be any and all of those things for anyone like it's the most like from an understanding of what desire is in terms of defining it like it's the most uh ambiguous the most fluid between one person and the next like seriously why wouldn't you have someone who you know uh somehow manages to be on all sides of all lines you could possibly draw mm-hmm. like I thought it was brilliant but people were mad about that one too yeah, people are always gonna be I, and it bothers me and I hate it so fucking much but I agree with all of your points about uh, the endless desire and what desire kind of represents or how it's defined it is fluid it's everything you can desire someone sexually you could desire like the latest Funko Pop or video game or whatever, right? It's so expansive and it covers everything. So yeah, why not have someone that uh, kind of truly embodies that, right? Because Mason Alexander Park is incredibly sexy in this fucking series. Agreed. And they they don't have a lot of screen time, which is a bit unfortunate. I really unironically desired more desire. I was like, I want more. And is that, <laughs> no, that, but maybe that was what they were trying to do. And if it was, I, I feel the same way they succeeded because like the deviousness and the, the undertone of like power that, you know, the personification of de- desire would have, especially in a world like ours, mm-hmm. it was, it was there. It resonated every time they did something, every time they spoke like you were like, oh shit, I would not want to fuck with them, but wait, I kind of do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, again, the subtlety in this this story, these characters, the show is so important. Whether you're talking about the comics, the show, or you know whatever else, and everyone who you know had that as part of, of of their character just let that shown through mm-hmm. and yeah I thought Desire was amazing and I really hope we get to see them more in the next season but we kind of got in the same kind of I don't know criticism trap with with uh, Lucifer 
especially especially because prior to the Sandman coming out, um, FX came out with a show called Lucifer mm-hmm. and Netflix ended up picking it up when FX dumped it and finished it off. Um, and that was loosely based on the same comic material. Mm-hmm. Um, loosely based. It was loosely. like a cop. Yeah, is uh, right. This is a cop procedural though. Uh, but it was cast with a very talented and classically handsome lead and people just assumed or wanted that casting to be the same for the Sandman like it's based on the material you should just I was I was glad that they didn't Mm -hmm. they didn't do that I was surprised that they went with Gwendolyn Christie because I was like ooh, this is a twist I wasn't expecting how is this going to play out um but like surprised in a good way because I was like this is neat they're Mm -hmm. doing they're doing some things with the cast that you know switch things up a bit but I trust Neil Gaiman to keep uh you know the spirit of his story alive and well so I'm like I'm really interested in this also it'll be good to see her again (laughs) yes I love Gwendolyn Christie and I she is just fucking killing it lately and you know between this and uh, her role in the Wednesday series. I loved her in that as well, but I really loved her as Lucifer Morningstar. And again, it's, and you know, and I think I love the look too, because of her hair, like her blonde, and then they kind of had it short and curly short and curlies um <laughs> god damn it um but like not that, like that folks not like, not like that, that. <laughs> but more like that cherub kind of you know those whatever baby angels kind of creepy looking chub face things I like, like I've never cared for them but kind yeah, of like she more recently fell kind of thing or just maintains that look or something for whatever reason I really liked it I love seeing that almost like a reminder that Lucifer was a fallen, was an angel at one point and not just some demon beast created out of yeah. negativity. Okay. I gotta admit though, it made me think of the American Dad episode where uh, Stan causes his whole family to freeze to death because he has to find the perfect Christmas tree because he's the only one who can do anything right. <laughs> uh, and he goes to court in heaven to try and get like a second chance with some angel who hasn't even earned their wings yet as his lawyer and the the opposing counsel comes in and it's the cutest looking cheruby angel possible mm-hmm. and stands like ah oh, he won't stand a chance and his his lawyer is like no you don't understand the more cases you win the cuter you get and i was like <laughs> i was like oh are they going for that kind of power vibe like you know don't judge a book by its cover cuz if you know Lucifer is this angelic looking. Oh my gosh, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Like that right? was, <laughs> and I got that from American Dad of all things. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I let's roll with that. But we've now made that canon in this. <laughs> yeah, they got inspiration from American Dad. No, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe American Dad got inspiration, got inspiration from, from, from. Yeah, we'll go right. with that one because that's way cooler, right? Right. <laughs> but. This was the the whole interaction between uh, Dream and Lucifer on his quest to regain his tools. Mm -hmm. Probably my second favorite 
episode mm-hmm. because I, for the longest time, have wanted to see that contest of wits play out cinematically. Oh, it was so- fantastic you know I love stories that kind of evoke that imagery you know really get your imagination going like oh how would you picture this battle it did not disappoint Mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite like sequences of of this series I mean there's so many but the way that was done it felt so like I don't know is it weird to say it kind of felt like you were there and within their like just like in the middle of their battle as you know she turns into a dire wolf and then he turns into a hunter and things just get bigger and bigger and and they keep keep getting like their their shots in so they're like oh and scrapes on the faces and everything it was so fucking good yeah and i'm <laughs> and just going to be fair here like i didn't care that this was streamlined a bit from the story mm-hmm. you know because lucifer wasn't the direct participant mm-hmm. in this battle uh in the original material and i was completely fine with that yeah um and you know maybe other people who watched the show or read the comics or listened to the audiobook whatever disagree but i i really thought it was a a good change to you know reduce the complexity of that particular plot line in a way that didn't detract from it Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it was it was beautifully done and again we know that there's going to be changes done from you know book to screen but again knowing neil was had a lot of say in this really just puts that all at ease and makes it maybe easier to accept the changes for for most of us and not the whiny, whiny crybabies. Yeah, I don't know. People need to be more open-minded. Like, how do you come into a story that features beings like this that can do the <laughs> things that they do and not be open-minded about it? I don't know. But if we look back at that, uh, those casting choices of 1995, uh, Sandman, <laughs> Lisa White, so... <laughs> I think that's what people were obviously expecting. I mean, we're seeing it more and more within Hollywood and people and quote the fans uh, getting all up in arms about various casting choices for different characters, beloved characters from print to screen. Yeah, but you know what? I like the artistic license of choosing an actor and a character look for the story's sake, for the chemistry's sake, rather than let's make it look exactly like the book because otherwise you won't know what this is. If you don't know what it is, then you're not really a fan, are you? Right, <laughs> like, exactly. Uh, I, I understand that that is my opinion and people are entitled to disagree, but I just feel like causing a big fuss over things like this detracts from your own enjoyment of it when yes. you could just, you could just be open-minded and enjoy it for the greatness that it is. And I did think of another one that caused some bickering back and forth, and that is Jenna Coleman as 
Johanna, Johanna, Constantine, Constantine, whichever way you say his name. There's arguments on that, too. Oh, I know. I know. Right. And then as as opposed to John Constantine, Constantine, whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I'm a I'm a fan, especially of the more recent iterations of John Constantine or Constantine. So, like, you would expect maybe this would bother me. But again, why? Yeah. And I'm sorry, but as soon as, as soon as Jenna Coleman popped up on the screen as Joanna Constantine, even my husband was just like, impossible girl. Yes. <laughs> so he went there instead of me. <laughs> he just went there first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all. I mean, I, I adore Jenna Coleman. I thought she was great at Joanna Constantine, Constantine. And I love that. For this character, Neil went and basically got like permission from the original creators of John Constantine uh, to create Joanna Constantine. So the version that we see doing like the exorcism in the churches and everything is a completely new separate character, apparently even from uh, Lady Joanna Constantine that we see in the um, that interacts with Dream and and Hob Hob. Thank you. <laughs> it's three letters. Why am I having problems? Because you're thinking hobgoblin and you can't, like, you're, you're trying really hard to stop yourself from saying the full thing. <laughs> uh, okay. But so I thought that was, I thought that was beautiful and very, very Neil like, I'm, I'm going to talk about him. Like we're best of friends. So just everyone. I mean, if you that. spend enough time on Tumblr, you could be. No shit. Right. I love that he's on <laughs> Tumblr. Me too. <laughs> And I love that he responds to people on Tumblr and then people take screenshots of his responses on Tumblr and post them on Twitter. And then he retweets them and he's like, yes. (laughs) But also his willingness to go to bat for his creative decisions, Mm -hmm. not just with the show, but what he had made before and why he felt the change was appropriate um, and why people should get over it. it, That's my favorite part. Uh, You know, it's just like, oh, I've never been such a huge fan of an author before. (laughs) Like, this is so cool. Like, as a person, he seems pretty awesome, too, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I love that, like, he has no problem kind of going against the trolls and talking back and everything. And it's like, I don't know who the fuck these people think they are to come for to come at him like that you know what I mean and especially when they thought he was responsible for the Lord of the Rings series Rings of Power which is my, How my do you do favorite dumb ass moment of the decade we'll say <laughs> like how do you how do you make that that conclusion like seriously it's I, got J J.R.R. Tolkien all over it I don't know but then you know one of those like some website or something put together one of those kind of like listicles or whatever or you know they're just like oh anyway they printed it it got printed that this was happening and I think even alluded that yes Neil is responsible was responsible for and so it only fueled it and you're just like the people that think they are fucking journalists because they can screenshot a bunch of tweets together and put a couple of sentences in between without doing any kind of like the simplest of googling no wait wait maybe this is like neil's master plan he's slowly going to supplant himself in place of all of the major 
British authors to ever have existed. <laughs> like, next will be C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. They're now Neil Gaiman's work. <laughs> oh my God. Don't joke about that. So... <laughs> it could happen. Oh. Eventually he'll work his way back to Shakespeare and we'll have <laughs> gaming classes instead of Shakespeare classes in high school. <laughs> Oh my God, that'd be so, that'd be so timey-wimey. Yeah, you could make a Doctor Who episode about it. <laughs> he's, he pro- he's, he's, actually it. A villain. he's actually a villain who goes back in time to <laughs> make himself the greatest author ever. I would love for him to write an episode <laughs> like that. I think that would be- We just so, wrote it for him. Yeah, <laughs> it would be so fucking amazing. We're really good at writing <laughs> random episodes. I know. Why don't we do that? <laughs> I don't know. Let's but... just pitch random stuff and see what sticks. <laughs> well, I thought about because you know we wrote the uh, musical episode to the series Gotham, which was perfect. It's such a crime that that doesn't exist. But now with James Gunn and the new DCEU stuff, I'm like maybe I should tweet my our idea at him and see <laughs> where he can incorporate it. Well, you could also tweet it to Matt Reeves for like his you know, outside of James Gunn's universe, Batman, because it oh, could yeah, work. Oh, yeah, Elseworlds. Yeah. So let's see. We're, we got done talking about, let's see. So we were just talking about Jenna Coleman as Joanna Constantine. Mm-hmm. Um, the Apo- impossible girl. <laughs> yeah. I think that um, uh, in the episode with Hob Gadling, and Lady Joanna comes in and Dream puts her to sleep. And she's like, no, not you. And we don't know what she's seeing. I you really want to know. I, I think <laughs> in, in, in the spirit of Doctor Who, I think she's confronted by one of the doctors and of, of her current behaviors. <laughs> Which one? I'm going to go with the tack eyebrows. I'm going to go with the tack eyebrows because... I think that also can work with how Clara's storyline quote ended and not ended how. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see who else have we got? So we've talked about, uh, let's see. Oh, you know who I really loved in this show? Lucien. Uh, yeah, but that was on my mind as well. Uh, and yeah. I, I think Vivian does an amazing job. I, and flipping through the comics and seeing Lucien, Lucien, whatever, the, the comic version, um, I don't like it. I like the screen version better now. <laughs> I am inclined to agree, actually. It's not that Lucien is bad from the original material at all, but I don't know. There seemed to be more humanity that was brought to this you know that that general aura of like caring Mm -hmm. that I think was somewhat absent in in the original material like they cared from the whole standpoint that this was their job but in the show it felt like they cared about dream Mm -hmm. and I think it did more for dreams character to have inspired that kind of relationship with multiple for lack of a better term people Mm -hmm. 
that are, are present in his realm and his existence or that he interacts with because it made him seem not really more human, but like it made him seem more capable of personal growth. No, absolutely. I 100% agree. Because we see how dream changes, even in like the slightest little bit throughout mm-hmm. this um, throughout this season and how he does gain a bit more compassion, understanding, possibly, you know, and if you want to count those as more human qualities, then yeah, he became more human or expanded his humanity, I guess, in a way that this Lucien helped with because when we see kind of what happens like the fight that happens or whatever uh with galt regarding galt because galt Mm -hmm. didn't exist in the book it was two different nightmares that dream kidnapped jed yeah and they sounded like your classic like 1950s 1960s burglars you know (laughs) (laughs) they kind of (laughs) did yeah no, I, so, I again, that's another creative change that I was totally fine with. Oh, absolutely. And I think it makes so much more sense within the series. And uh, again, with Dream's growth that we see. I mean, uh, Fiddler's yeah. Green straight up tells Lucienne, like, he apologized to you and admitted to, like, being wrong. Like, that's not the dream I know. That's not the Morpheus I know. Right. But while we're on the subject, I thought Galt was just perfect for the storyline. Oh, absolutely. And it was such a sweet proposition that a nightmare didn't want to be a nightmare anymore. They wanted to they wanted to bring happiness and good. They wanted to be a dream. And that nightmares can dream too. Oh, which Oh, I loved it. I, so sweet. Oh, I I agree. And so I was so happy that Dream made Galt into a dream and really just gave her really pretty butterfly wings (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah well dream knows how to make some interesting stuff that's for sure Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i i loved the galt character and i i agree i thought that change was absolutely necessary plus it probably would have been difficult from the more technical standpoint of special effects to do the two nightmares, um, glob and brood or whatever. Well, I mean, on that subject, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of glad too that Hector had a diminished role mm-hmm. because of all the characters that I didn't like, it, he was it, you know, <laughs> from the original stuff. It's yeah. like, oh, I hate this. It's so tropey. <laughs> no offense, Neil, but yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's like, so the changes with Hector and Lyda from the books to the show, I thought made them a lot more interesting and more complex and gave them more depth. And it it also it made more wove sense. them into the story better. Yes, I agree. Whereas if even in the book, it just kind of felt off. Like, does this need to be here? Why do we have this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I get it. There are things that, you know that leads to it's it's not that it's one of those dead-end storylines but you know their initial injection into the series was like all right okay really mm-hmm. and then oh i can't like 
when I listened to the audiobooks and I got to the Hector part, I was like, oh, it's even worse. <laughs> so I was reading those bits with Hector and Lida from the book and I actually had to read them a couple of times because I'm like, wait a minute, how is this fitting in? Because I was so now attached to the screen versions. I'm like, wait a minute. This is not when Hector comes in. This is not who the dream Sandman in this pocket dream world or whatever, pocket dreaming. I like that pocket dream. Thanks. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it, it kind of took me a minute to figure out, wait a minute, this is really different. <laughs> yeah. And after watching the series, it feels more wrong than it did before. And that's, again, it's a real credit to the creative decisions that were made by by Neil and everyone involved in the show to to get to this point where I feel like, I, I think Neil may have even commented it on it himself in terms of these changes making for a better story. Mm-hmm. And for for an author to be so open-minded about improvements to their own work, whether driven by their own thought process and experiences or someone else's, is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't like some other authors we've seen where they're trying to retcon more information to seem more woke, open-minded, however you want to put it than they are. Mm-hmm. Like this was him growing as an, an author and as a person and realizing, hey, I could have done this better and I have a chance to do this now. And he did it. I'm just like, this is so amazing. <laughs> so I'm not one of those peers that's like, you can't do that. <laughs> like, right. I, I, I will never be I, uh, that way. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I've had some tirades against movies and such where they deviate so much from the original story where you're just like, this feels wrong. I hate it. But, you know, he kept everything that made the Sandman what it was intact when he made these changes Mm -hmm. and and it just works because they weren't changes for changes sake you know they were the changes made were incredibly thoughtful and like we've said work perfectly in the screen version since we were talking about Hector and Lyda and Galt uh you know it kind of touches on the whole Rose storyline uh this like I love this storyline, but it's also it also was the the storyline that I was dreading seeing the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, is you know nightmares are on full display, and the Corinthian has you know mouths for eyes, and they have teeth, and ugh, ah, it's so gross. <laughs> uh, and the munching, the munching sounds like the squelching when the, <laughs> the eyeballs. Oh my god. And, uh, and uh, even in the audiobooks, it makes me feel so sick. <laughs> Gross. Like, uh, and then to put put him in an otherwise conventionally handsome form, I'm just like, stop it! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the Corinthian is the embodiment of a nightmare. Um, that that uh, sees the bigger picture to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like, you ever want to find out what it's like to have a nightmare actually like come to life? I guess this was what they were doing. Mm-hmm. 
and you know like all the people who are into like ser- serial killer stuff and murder mysteries all that stuff they must have been loving this episode i i really i kind of did <laughs> i figured you did I, I i'm not saying i didn't but like you know the other serial killers too mm-hmm. i i'm blanking oh, i'm blanking on the name of the one that likes kids oh man, that one was Funland. oh he just, every iteration of the sandman i recoil mm-hmm. so much with this guy i just uh and it didn't matter who his target was either like i just ugh. like it's really difficult for me to get through that stuff mm-hmm. because i have such a like personal distaste for it but again so well done because i felt all those feelings and didn't feel like turning it off Mm-hmm. what did you think of the whole corinthian rose walker stuff i really liked it uh the only thing with the corinthian that kind of bothers me but we'll excuse it because a hundred years had passed but the series opens with dream going to get corinthian because he had escaped from the dreaming and mm-hmm. that's and he's in the middle of doing that when he gets summoned by Roderick Burgess, Tywin Lannister, because he's, again, shitty father issues. <laughs> it, it, I need to look at that actor's career real quick. Like, seriously, I need to see if that's like what he plays in everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Also, I love that he calls himself a wizard. I think it's a bit of a stretch. Uh-huh. Um, Tad a tad just like a smidge. I, i'm picturing him like mickey mouse in fantasia i'm a wizard look at this mess i made <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so dreams like on his way to like this the series opens with him trying to reclaim uh the corinthian gets kidnapped and locked away for a hundred years and now he's more focused on rebuilding the dreaming that when it's revealed that three of the nightmares have escaped and one of them was the Corinthian. And he's like, oh, yes. Like, dude, that's what you were doing. <laughs> I know your priorities have shifted and it's been a hundred years. He probably forgot. Exactly. But at the same time, I'm just like, come on. But <laughs> again, my only minor criticism, but it can be very easily excused away with he has more pressing matters and that is rebuilding the dreaming yeah um i i really enjoyed the corinthian storyline i loved how the collectors were incorporated and and they like the one the good doctor serial killer she's like well we need to get his attention so they do like a copycat murder and it gets his attention and then he's just like and he's all for it because why not? You're you're amongst your peers, essentially. And so I kind of love that like Corinthian was all about being worshipped as like, you know, their special guest speaker and and everything. But it really just shows that Dream was right. He's he's preying on humanity, and that's not he's supposed to serve humans. Yeah, and what an impression he's made. Like he single-handedly 
introduced that aspect of human society is what they're saying mm-hmm. like and I'm just like huh I, if if the real world was like that we could trace all this junk back to a nightmare or two mm. how interesting would it be if you could just remedy it the way dream did and be like well now you're gonna feel the full weight of your actions oh and oh yeah God. corinthian you're gonna be remade because i clearly got this wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god that'd be something else wouldn't it <laughs> yeah I, but as as interesting as all of that was, and as much as I enjoy the whole pun of the serial convention, I think my favorite aspect of the Rose Walker storyline was like her motley crew of people, including mm-hmm. the third escaped dream, Fiddler's Green, mm-hmm. Stephen Fry. Oh, I love him so much. I do too. And he keeps making choices of what to be in that make me go, oh, I love you more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I totally did not like kind of forgetting from the books and everything. I I just got more wrapped up in seeing Stephen Fry and I'm like, oh, I love him. Then realizing that he was Fiddler fucking Fiddler's fucking green. So when it was quote revealed, uh, (laughs) Tim's like, I'm not at he's like how did you miss that I'm like I don't know because it's Stephen Fry Fry. and And she kept calling him Gilbert like that's not his name (laughs) (laughs) and he has a cool cool sword cane so (laughs) I know I should get one of those Mm -hmm. but oh I don't know (laughs) I I just yeah how I love I, I, I love Stephen Fry I loved Fiddler's Green uh the the personification of that nightmare and also what fiddler's green looks like in the dreaming and it's like who hasn't been to fiddler's green in their dreams right some big expansive idealistic picturesque pretty outdoorsy (laughs) yeah but that's the whole thing that i love about him too is like if a place like this was a person how would that person behave (laughs) It's so perfectly captured. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. And it's adorable. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Stephen Fry in this role, again, as you said, plays an adorable character. I mean, the man's a brilliant comedian. And in this particular role, we kind of saw him step away from that. And yeah, like I said, I love Stephen Fry and this just made me love him more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I loved it. I loved, uh, yeah, Rose's little Motley crew of, you know, housemates and everything. And just these people that are all in to help her, like they are a family as dysfunctional as Barbie and Ken might be. Uh, but I love the spooky goth twins. <laughs> they were so sweet. You would not have expected such sweetness, right? Just by looking at them. Right. And that's such well, a, an nor, important well, theme throughout the series. Nor would you have expected the depth of Barbie's dreams, mm-hmm. the whole like fantasy universe. It was I swear it was it was Neil Gaiman being like super meta with this and building another fantasy world within a fantasy world within a fantasy world because <laughs> <laughs> you got this dream all like laid out in depth character development the whole works within the dreaming mm-hmm. within the story about dream and I'm mm-hmm. just like. now this is the kind of inception i can get behind now that movie was great i love the movie uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is less confusing (laughs) 
<laughs> I think originally when they were going to make an attempt at the Sandman movie, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was in Inception, was going to be in it. Mm, I think I'd read that. But, but then, like, because of creative differences with the changes in, uh, the I guess, production team or whatever, he dropped out. I I wonder in like a parallel universe, was that made and was it good? <laughs> in a parallel universe, it was probably made and probably not good. And it probably was so bad that now this version doesn't exist. Oh, they're just I don't like, know we I... can't take that chance again. I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't like that. Okay. I, I, okay. <laughs> Damn alternate universes. Yeah, but for Joseph Gordon-Levitt to feel so strongly about whatever his vision was that he dropped out of the project, I want to know what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, can you, like, draw it or something? Like, <laughs> can do you some fanfic? <laughs> I'd love that. Okay, let's see what else. So, God, there's just, there's so much to talk about, and I I want to try and get it all in, but there's a lot, so... I want to talk real quick about this amazing dysfunctional family, Endless. Uh, <laughs> I love them. Because I'm picturing all, a 90s sitcom open where they all like turn towards the camera and then it's like too. the Endless. Me too. Like step by step or like full house. Just one of those. Family matters. <laughs> oh my which God. One's, which one's the Urkel? well we haven't met them all in exactly so i love it but one of my favorite lines was that um after after dream is released from roderick burgess's uh dream napping and was it lucianne's like oh why don't you like call your siblings for help dude the fucking pouty whiny baby bullshit about some Oh, they knew what happened to me and they still didn't come. So I'm not going to call them because they know and they don't care. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hmm. <laughs> okay. I, I don't little emo baby. You <laughs> exactly. I loved it. I thought it was just like a nice kind of hint towards just this dysfunctional family dynamic. And then we hear death talk about, you know, they did do one family dinner while he was gone. I want to go to an endless family dinner. I'm uh yeah I, I do too although my appetite would be questionable with despair doing the despair things at the dinner oh, table no shit that was definitely like an ah <laughs> wasn't expecting it I don't know why but I mean I was I was but still I wasn't like, why <laughs> so there are seven siblings in dreams family called the endless and we only see four of them, uh, let's see, in season one. But let's see, there uh, is Destiny, Dream, Death, the twins Desire and Despair, Destruction, and Delirium, and then their respective sigils that we kind of see quickly throughout the series in uh, Desires, Space, and Dreams um, is, let's see, a book, Dream's Helm, an Ankh, a heart, a hook, a sword, and a swirl of colors. Um, Spitting. Yeah. So I I kind of like that we didn't get all of them. It's true to the book, right? But 
at the same time, I'm just kind of like, which made the the anticipation of a second season being renewed just that much more like nerve wracking because you're just like, we need the other the other endless siblings to show up. I yeah, want to I see, mean, de- I want to see delirium and destruction, and obviously yeah. more desire. Yes, <laughs> um, like. Destiny is usually lurking in the background and Destiny is unique in like the DC universe as well because they kind of have a presence elsewhere if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um so I'm really curious as to how they're going to do that especially since they didn't like do it from the beginning unless we really missed something Mm -hmm. um uh Delirium I'm strangely looking forward to mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why like, I, I don't but yeah I'm really curious like the biggest illusion we have to destiny is with Dr. Destiny you know portraying himself that way not probably not even like close to a drop in the bucket of actual destiny so I've always I've always wondered why he chose that name um other than you know delusions of grandeur mm-hmm. but yeah I just I'm not sure how that's gonna look especially because well destiny and delirium are interesting to translate to the screen I mean destruction is pretty done and done like uh, <laughs> how much do we see in the movies these days mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I'm I'm really curious about those two yeah I can't I can't wait to see how they introduce and how they portray these other endless siblings. So I'm so happy that it got renewed. Otherwise we'd probably be here crying. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. We would just have like a two hour podcast of us crying about how unfair it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Who is the prodigal son that they mentioned? Is that, is that destiny? That was my interpretation of it. Yeah. I cannot remember and because their sigil is the one that's missing from desire's sigil wall because I don't think they mention it in the book yeah I I got that interpretation that they were referring to destiny I could be wrong yeah but it it feels like that's the only plausible explanation so we'll see what they mean Because you get the sense, because I think at one point Despair tells Desire that the elder siblings, and I can't remember if she named, like, uh, she doesn't name them, but if she says, like, the elder four or just, like, the elder three. So clearly, Dream and Death, and at least one more, are the older siblings. Is Dream, though, because Death always calls him little brother. I think Dream, or I think Death, if Death isn't the oldest, she's the second oldest, is my guess. Fair. And, then, and then dream is like her younger brother but he is desire's older brother and despair's older brother that's that's right yeah so i wonder if because the way it's listed the way it was listed on imdb if that is quote age order because it kind of fits but i feel like maybe destruction would have been an elder four You'd think so, right? Because if we think about how the endless are, right? Because death is like, I was, she was, she says, I don't know if she says she was the first, but she was one of the first and she will be the last until the last living thing is, has died. 
And then she will happily shut off the lights, put the tables, nope, the chairs on the tables and close the door behind her. Yes, I love the diner references considering 24-7. Okay, can we talk about that one? Are we done talking about the other ones? <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I, just, yes, I really yes, want to talk can. about the diner episode. Because the fact so, that they give us 24 and renamed 24-7 for the series, and then he made one of the most like, holy fuck episodes of television uh and then immediately follow it with the episode of with death and hob gadling i did it was quite was quite an emotional uh experience okay so (laughs) let's back up a second though i told you that the whole corinthian thing was the thing i was dreading the most because it it really gets under my skin it really does Mm -hmm. you would think that 24-7, a.k.a. 24, or 24 hours, depending on what material you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, seriously, you would think that one would be like, no, no fucking way. There's no, but that's exactly it. I'm like, there's no way that they could make this as god-awful as it was <laughs> in the books and get away with it. And it didn't quite get everything, but it got enough of it where I was like, well shit (laughs) (laughs) that is an appropriate reaction i think especially after i found out that lupin was playing this character who's like don't ruin lupin for me (laughs) and i know he's played other things before and other things since and i'm i'm not so one-dimensional as that but i just he, I, I don't know. I've got a soft spot for him because of that. Um, and weirdly, this did not diminish it. <laughs> <laughs> More appreciation for the actor and their craft, if anything, right? Uh, again, master of subtlety, though. Like, this is another performance where I liked the show version better than the source material, better than the audiobook portrayal, because... When you have that much power at your disposal and it's driven you crazy, I really like when that aspect is quiet, Mm -hmm. unassuming. Mm -hmm. It just, it makes it more powerful for me. And I guess that's the direction they took it in the show because, yeah, I, I really liked this better. Yeah, the I, I, I love this fucking episode as wild as it is and because it's so wild and it starts off like you kind of like you say, very unassuming, right? If you don't know, you don't know. So you're just like, okay, he's going to a diner. So we're meeting some interesting diner folks, but then things slowly kind of start to unravel every time he holds the ruby and kind of aims it at someone right and it's I love I just I loved how it was done in the series uh in the book it's it's fine it's great and everything too and John D has a completely different look like you see how just changed and I mean he looks like a skeleton kind of thing yeah this is one of those times where you know the whole comic book licensed I think takes it a little too far because I think what makes the like the whole John D Dr. Destiny thing more approachable for me is the fact that he retains a human visage Mm -hmm. 
And I think the way that he's still able to kind of subtly portray some of that, like the physical look to the book and somehow give that, put that into the performance and into the character. Mm -hmm. So we don't, we don't need to see him like that, like how he looks in the book. There's just something about the way he carries himself, the way he kind of uh, like his head placements, movements, the way he looks at the different diner people. And even when he slowly is kind of, you know, everyone's starting to go, you know, getting all like sexy time with each other and his kind of slow walk around, like he does an amazing job. And the series does an amazing job of just like encapsulating all of that mm-hmm. again, without him needing to look like that. And it's just, it's right. So stinking freaking good. <laughs> he looks like that in terms of his body language. Yes. Rather than, you know, and I, I feel like perhaps because the source material is a comic, it's appropriate that it's more blatant in a comic because you know that that is the medium that we're working with Mm -hmm. but I was so happy that they didn't go that far in the show and again maybe there's people who disagree with that but what I've seen as a common theme in the show and even in the audiobooks but in our discussion today is that we have the sense of how powerful these characters are how impactful these characters are through the the subtleties of their portrayal and i was i was pleased that john d was not an exception mhm yeah the the performances and again the cinematography just and then kind of these the way they slowly kind of peel back the veil and re- and reveal these truths right like is done so well like when when Bet goes in the back to talk to Marsh and she's like, Oh, are you going to come over for dinner and this and that? And they show John with the Ruby kind of aiming it towards the kitchen and just in such a normal, natural, non-assuming conversation way, Marsh admits to that. He likes having dinner with her and her son. And then he likes to go upstairs and have sex with her son. And just the, oh my God. And it's just kind of like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) wait a minute. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. And it just kind of descends into madness from there. And I, I thought it was, I thought the episode was wonderfully done and I thought it was a perfect fit for the screen version. And I thought it does a really good job still capturing that kind of feel from from the book yeah it did and to be able to show that much depravity and and uh just disgustingness and every possible facet in that episode i i, I didn't think they were going to be able to get away with that mm-hmm. and but they, they sh- really did and they show a lot but then there's also plenty that they don't show so we're still left with our own imagination you know like mostly like the self-harm stuff right right they drew the line where they needed to draw the line and I and get it was that. perfect and I thought it was very well done because it didn't feel like abruptly cut off or anything you know what I mean mm-hmm. where it's like it, it it made sense you knew what they were doing you knew they were being thoughtful with how they were portraying 
this descent and what they were, what they were going to show and not. And I loved it. I loved how it seemed to be very carefully crafted in that sense and still mm-hmm. maintain that like, holy shit kind of feeling of this moment. Yeah. And I also loved how it led to the final confrontation between Dream and John D. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really well done as well. Yeah. And, you know, the ultimate realization by Dream that the ruby, which he saw as a necessary tool, was actually a crutch mm-hmm. holding him back was interesting. Again, it was that that theme of like character growth for him. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I don't need this. I'm Dream of the Endless. Yeah. He's just like, I, I am ne- this. I never would have thought to have broken the ruby. Thanks, John D. <laughs> to reward you, I'm going to torture you for eternity. <laughs> Well, in this, like, oh, maybe not that much growth then. (laughs) Well, in this, in the, because doesn't he just like put him to sleep basically for, well, and I guess that could be seen as a sign of torture because then he's denied death. Yeah. But as we've seen in, in, you know, the death episode. But I thought it was um, very interesting that death made the comment that, you know, kind of like this isn't exactly all your fault. You know, you came into possession of the ruby through no fault of your own, but then obviously yeah. from their choices were made. So I I liked that. that. That felt like part of like new dream, like part of his, a step in his growth of understanding yeah. that like you, that John was not in total control of the situation that led him to the moment. Yeah. To an extent, but that obviously right. consequences, he still had to face consequences. So I thought it was a nice interesting way to kind of show that dream is changing and growing even though he goes all emo goth in the next episode but then he comes around and he's like oh yeah I have a friend and I hate I when he gets all mad at Hob because like Hob's like oh you need a I think you need a friend and we see classic emo how dare you emo bratty fucking dream i don't need a friend how dare you suggest that it's like dude your sister thought you needed a friend i think that was just whole thing it wasn't just like oh why don't you play with these humans and just kind of see what it's like like it it seems like she's been trying to get dream to connect with humanity and possibly his human side a bit for hundreds of years and she finally did it and she finally did it so I, I just thought that was kind of funny because here's his big sister. I truly think that that's, that was her long con was to get dream a friend. She even uh, brought him up during their, their reunion and they're walking and their little walkabout. Yeah. No, I, I, like I said, I love death. <laughs> <laughs> we love death. <laughs> oh that my God. That needs to be on a t-shirt. It should, it might be. <laughs> I think I think another one that might end up in the merch store eventually is um pay it forward but sadistically. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those things now said out of context is maybe not the best. <laughs> no, it still works. All right, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's really anything else. I do kind of want to talk about the dream of a thousand cats. Um, oh that was such a cute episode it in was terms a, of the animation and everything maybe was. not the subject matter so much I, love that. I thought the subject matter was cute too um but before we get to that so 
we'll kind of wrap up. So Rose was the vortex and then Unity Kincaid, who is her great, great grandmother. Yes. Um, who had fallen for the, um, who had been sleeping during the sleepy sickness. She takes Rose's place as the vortex because Unity was supposed to be the vortex, but then some golden eyed dream came to her and fathered a child and which led to Rose being the vortex. Right. All right. So what did you think of that and how it all kind of played out on screen and how it's going to hopefully lead us up to a second, to the second season uh, with desired kind of knowing that they were responsible for essentially Rose. Well, I think what it, it led to was a better understanding of a child of the dreaming being significant Mm -hmm. in some way and impactful because you know we have another one Mm -hmm. uh, in progress so to speak uh I don't I, I know desire is scheming and you know this maybe kind of worked out for them I'm not sure what they're like I'm not really sure what their end goal was for this particular scheme mm-hmm. other than to annoy dream. <laughs> <laughs> but the concept of the concept of a dream vortex is really interesting in terms of like walking through everyone's dreams and melding them together and possibly making another dreaming out of that. Like the sheer magnitude of that is just interesting to consider, but the vortex themselves is such a tragic figure. Mm-hmm. They have to die. There's really no other way. It's just so sad to me. Yeah. But I liked, you know, that Unity was able to set things right in a way that didn't leave, you know, Chad without his sister and didn't punish Rose for the way things turned out and all that. Yeah, I really liked how it was all, how it all played out on screen. And I like that we didn't end up having to lose the Rose character and we get to keep her for at least maybe another season. Maybe if she pops up, I don't know if we'll be done with her, um, like her and Jed, but I have a feeling that at least through Lyda and kind of where Lyda is within the story of having <laughs> this weird ghost dream baby. Yeah, what ghost dream baby. That's that's comic book material, right? There. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> I spit on my face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I, I mean, it was a very satisfying ending to all of that. We didn't lose any of Rosa's motley crew, like we kind of thought was happening within the dream. She's trying yeah. to get everyone to wake up, and they're not. Um. But yeah, I, yeah, no notes. (laughs) (laughs) I just figured we should probably talk about how the season actually ended in that sense. So (laughs) that's fair. (laughs) Fine. Um, But okay. So a dream of a thousand cats and Calliope. (laughs) So this episode was dropped, what, like a week or so after the season? Something like that. Something like that. It like just enough time for people to binge through the season at least once and then throw them another little nugget. And I love, okay, so I love the dream of a thousand cats. I don't care. I love the message as well. And I love how it ends with them watching the kitty have a dream clearly of like playing and eating people. 
Yes. I mean, I loved it too. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it was a bit of a departure from the, the main storyline and, you know, getting to know Dream, although he features. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was an interesting concept to introduce that, yes, Dream's realm also includes the dreams of animals. It's mm-hmm. much more uh, broadly encompassing than people might realize and that maybe people need to get over themselves a bit. Plus, mm-hmm. it's cats. I love cats. I know. And one of my favorite things about when this episode aired and kind of surprised everybody was then all the people with cats taking pictures of their cats very intently watching the episode and watching like dream like the dream cat or even the the female cat sharing her story the way (laughs) it was so cute and kind of creepy and then the fact that you know Neil totally like lapped it up and retweeted and kind of playfully suggested that that may or may not have been the point (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he's so great he's so great but my favorite line from A Dream of a Thousand Cats was uh, after they listened to the Siamese cat speak and share her dream and her message and the older cat and the kitten are walking back and the older cat says, I would like to see anyone, prophet, king, or God persuade a thousand cats to do anything at the same time. (laughs) Right. So true. I love it. And so I think that's why we will be safe from The Dream of a Thousand Cats. Because cats are too independently minded. Mm -hmm. So, and then on to Calliope. So I like these, that they included these two kind of short stories, side stories from, from the books. And, you know, all I got to say about Rory Pond is I'm very, very disappointed in you. I know. I was literally like almost shouting at the TV, (laughs) Rory, Rory, no, Rory, no, no, don't do it. Then yeah, I mean, then when you then when we realize that he gets the muse, he gets Calliope from the master. <laughs> I know, I know, and I'm just like, this is so wrong. <laughs> it's wrong before it even gets to the wrong point. Like, <laughs> and let's not forget go? that the voices in Dream of a Thousand Cats includes David Tennant and Michael Sheen, our good omen guys. And also yep. James McAvoy, who voices Dream in the audiobooks, but he doesn't voice Dream voice. in. I, I just, I love everything about James. He's so handsome. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine. No, nope, <laughs> yeah, horny sure. jail for me. Whatever. Fuck it. Who cares? So, yeah. So we have a lot of like of our Doctor Who favorites and just kind of anyone ever employed under, <laughs> under Neil. <laughs> right. And it's like in looking up the trivia imdb trivia for this episode like literally 89 percent of it is about who was in what doctor who good omens whatever like how they all kind of are within orbit of neil's universe oh my god the six degrees of neil gaiman don't start that (laughs) (laughs) we got to see a bit more from dream's perspective uh, and historical relationship that he had uh so you see that he is or was for the second time capable of love romance whatever and it always seems to end tragically not just for dream but for the people he's involved with and i have a feeling that that's going to be you know uh 
something that continues throughout the series. But oh, poor Calliope. Mm-hmm. There's so many classic stories that invoke the muses at their beginning or credit them. And, you know, this was one of those things that innocent me, uh, who has a thing for like Greek mythology, really thought that, you know, they were just being friends or whatever. And like the muses just genuinely, genuinely appreciated the talent and creativity that these people had and they wanted to help them. And it's like super wholesome like that. And then this, then this story happened. And I was like, oh, no, 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 ew, no, no. <laughs> like, yeah. it just put a whole nother spin on it. And, oh, just, it also felt like the way that they did the episode and everything was very much commentary on, you know, current social dynamics as well. Mm-hmm. So this one hit hard for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was, I mean, right away, kind of like at the beginning, you get those themes of, you know, misogyny and the womanizing and that we're just, and that, uh, you know, the, uh, the old author, the master, you know, tells Rory, that's just what I'm calling them, deal with it, that yep. Calliope, like, don't be fooled. She's not a human, you know, and that kind of literal dehumanizing of yes she's a goddess sure great but also like she's in human form so I don't know like still human but just the way women are often seen and treated and disrespected and literally locked away like yeah Rory's not any better than the master just because he gave her a bedroom yeah Uh, but then the bar really low yeah but then you know we get our classic like you know he's a good guy laura he's a feminist he writes strong female characters you know even better than than women authors can write strong female characters oh the face of (laughs) that nice guy thing just keeps popping up doesn't it it does (laughs) and so I couldn't help but think again to White Lotus season two and one of the opening one of the first lines they say in the first episode men are so disappointing yep yep especially the ones who who say they're nice very disappointed in you Rory Pond I loved his demise so Mm -hmm. to speak though Mm -hmm. that was that was poetic (laughs) It was beautiful. It was so well done. And I really do just enjoy Arthur uh, Darville. Um, Duval? No, not Duval. I think uh, Darville is right. I think it's Dar- Darville. But I I enjoy him. I think he is a cutie patootie. I love him in Doctor Who. He was in like the first season and a half-ish of DC's Legends of Tomorrow in the CW. <laughs> and you know, and all criticisms aside of that first season, I still really enjoyed him. I mean, he was very, very, very the Doctor-esque. He had a long jacket and a time machine. That's um, appropriate. Yeah. But yeah, I I just, I enjoy seeing him. I just, I love Arthur. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. I think he's a great actor. His subtleties, especially in those moments of his demise of kind of realizing he he can't think and now it's everything is just so hard it was so fucking good 
just yeah so good and it was a joy to watch you know schadenfreude for sure Mm -hmm. all right let's see i mean i think we've touched on just about everything i'm sure there's still plenty of things we have missed but hopefully we can come back and cover that when we binge season two when that finally comes out Mm -hmm. so why don't we go ahead and just start with our midwest goodbye and we'll start with our stray bubbles so laura anything else you got um no i i'm sure that you know like you said some of the other things that maybe don't seem as important right now or as discussion worthy are, are going to play their bigger part as things continue to unfold because that's the way this whole story works but right now you know this is just a really long appreciation episode (laughs) for a beautiful piece of art Uh, I mean it really is I I've been looking forward to this recording for weeks since we decided to do it even after watching the season for the first time I didn't have any plans to talk about it I was like well maybe I'll do like a mini bubble or something just because I loved it so much so I'm really really glad that despite our long list of <laughs> things to cover <laughs> there's so many crossover episodes Laura <laughs> mm. everyone thinks I'm really mean too by the way anyone I tell I that I'm gonna make you do that they're just like that's not nice <laughs> that's how you know she cares <laughs> all right so for stray bubbles I have a couple of things I, that I snagged from IMDB but a few of my little things real quick when when dream is uh with Joanna and they go to Rachel's apartment the moment that Joanna kind of slams the door in dream's face and the way that she goes about it I can't help but chuckle because it feels very Clara you know, it, it, it does. You're right. <laughs> it's super Clara. <laughs> that was also a really sad moment in the series. I mean, I was totally expecting it, but it was still sad to see. It was sad to see, but they did a really, it, it was done very, very well. Just like, just like everything else in the series. Yeah. The character of Lushing Lou that we meet <laughs> during the, uh, Hob, Hob got so close during the Hob episode. Um, according to the Twitter account Whores of Yore, Lushing Lou existed, or some form of Lushing Lou exists, some iteration that this character is somewhat based on. They kind of did a whole breakdown of it based on kind of the language used, the terminology. And then Neil, I believe, either commented or quote retweeted. Um, I don't remember exactly, but something very affirming. That's cool. I didn't I didn't know that. And it's also just a really great Twitter account to follow because they'll give you like old timey words in the definition. So some of them, what was the one I sent you one day was like bobtail was slang for sex workers. And then it makes you think about uh, Jingle Bell differently. <laughs> Completely differently. <laughs> All right. So here are I think that's what I've got for just kind of my little uh, my little note, notey things. So per IMDb, in the first chapter, just after Dream is captured in 1917 by Roderick Burgess, several cases of dream disorders happen around the world, which is later named, uh, two big long names that I'm 
I didn't practice. Encephalitis lethargica. Yep. Thanks. This is historically accurate. From 1917 to 1928, in UK and other parts of the world, people suffered uh, suffered diverse dream disorders. The symptoms were high fever, headache, lethargy, sore throat, double vision, delayed physical and mental response, sleep inversion, and even catatonia. In the, uh, if the case was severe enough, patients might enter a coma-like state. It was first named as encephalitis lethargica in 1917 by Austrian neurologist, Dr. Konstantin von Economo. That sounds like a fucking villain. I know. Sorry. Um, then uh, the cause of the disease was never found. It's because Dream was imprisoned for 11 years. Yeah, we know the truth. <laughs> Neil knew. Uh, let's see. In the episode, in episode one, Alex Burgess is reading A Handful of Dust by Evelyn Waugh. Uh, the film, the film of A Handful of Dust was made in 1988 and directed by Charles Sturridge who is Tom Sturridge's father. That one I did know. Isn't that so cool? I love it. Ah. And then let's see, the other one that I think I pulled from IMDb, and I thought it was interesting that within the series, and I understand that they removed all mentions of like DC characters. Yeah, that was more of like a a licensing thing. So um, in episode nine, The Collectors, the Corinthians stated that the serial killer, the boogeyman, drowned in Louisiana three years before. This is one of the few script references to the contemporary DC universe at the time of the publishing of the graphic novel number 14. It refers to issue number 44 of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, volume two, where the boogeyman tries to cross the bayou after claiming his latest victim and drowns. Witnessed by the knowing passive elemental guardian, Swamp Thing. Boogeyman's gimmick was to ask others to think of a number to which described one of to that to which described of the eyes of that particular victim. After drowning, he wandered to himself uh, of the nature of his afterlife and asked if there was anyone there. He was answered from the darkness with think of a number. Let's see. I'm trying to think if there was anything else. Um, we didn't talk a lot about Cain and Abel and Gregory and Goldie or Gerving, but I loved them. They and were I, adorable. They were adorable. And the, oh God, I always get the brothers confused, but the one that always gets murdered, his sad little story, Abel, Abel that he tells to uh, Goldie about stories oh you don't know stories well here's a story oh that was so sad i know i loved it though um all right yeah that's kind of it i got a lot of notes about dream just being a stubborn gothy little bitch (laughs) but also cute (laughs) but also cute tom sturridge is dream he basically i'm i i just i think that neil did some sort of spell and just made dream from the and just pulled tom from the comic book somehow and created him because okay he is dream this he's is like harkening back to the whole he's going back in time making himself the author of everything <laughs> important ah <laughs> oh, so tammy wimey wibbly wobbly it's appropriate it is appropriate you're gonna uh, cast doctor who people what do you expect <laughs> <laughs> expect all the fucking references 
So. Oh, I, I did think of something though. Uh, yeah. I was trying to like rack my brain where I've seen um, Kirby before. Yeah. She was on an episode of Drunk History. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, I miss that show so much. Me too. That was the best. That was the best. Um, all right. Well, we'll go ahead. If that's it for Stray Bubbles, we'll go ahead and move on to the next bit of the Midwest goodbye. And that is the six degrees of Nicolas Cage, where we get to Nicolas Cage in six steps or less yep. uh, from the Sandman. So, Laura, how'd you do? I got one. I got one. I got Yay! one. Okay. I went with David Thewlis, whose name I can't say properly, as you might have gathered. Um, he was great. in he was in a pretty crappy <laughs> adaptation of the island of Dr. Moreau when he was younger. <laughs> really cool, right? Uh, Super cool. And the, the original director for that movie was Richard Stanley. And Richard Stanley was so traumatized by the making of this film that it was like decades before he came back to, you know, make another movie. And that movie, when he finally came back, was a Nicolas Cage movie. Um, uh, where did I put that now? Hold on. <laughs> oh my God, the suspense! Drum roll, please. Uh, that, that was it. That's all I've got is... Uh, That's your drum roll? <laughs> my very nervous like eh. oh man where is it i'm sorry do the jeopardy music that's awesome okay so color out of space <gasps> i love that movie yeah and more accurately it was 23 years Damn. He came out of his pseudo retirement because of this shitty movie. <laughs> wow. Well, he came back with a fucking banger because that movie was amazing. Yeah. I, I thought it was a really fun fact. That is a that is the funnest of facts. Good job. Thank you. Um, so I went with uh Mason Alexander Park who, as we've said, plays Desire. And uh, real fun fact, they liked and retweeted a tweet of mine the other day that um, immediately killed me. I have since recovered, um, but that I, my heart, I think, like literally fucking stopped because it was about, uh, the tweet was about, as of this date, the latest episode of the new Quantum Leap, which I am now, I think that's one of those shows that, I like more than I'm realizing because I've now seen it's every, growing on you. I've seen every episode twice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, initially, you seemed a little opposed to it. I was a little apprehensive. And my whole reason for starting to watch that series was because how upset I've been about how the original Quantum Leap ended. So I started watching to see if they would put right what once went wrong. And they have yet to do that. But in waiting for these moments, I'm slowly kind of falling for these characters. And I really like the cast. It's a very, very diverse cast. Um, and uh, Mason plays Ian. And the latest episode, a trans girl, high school girl who plays basketball. 
and just because yeah. the, the episode itself takes place. He leaps back into 2012. So it's pretty recent. Um, but it was it was so fucking well done and it was so beautiful and it was it, it just fucking lovely. And I don't know, I just everyone needs to watch it. I don't know how else to kind of put it into words. Um, anyways, I'm sorry, I ranted. <laughs> so no, you're fine. So yeah, so they liked and retweeted because I had tweeted about how great that episode was and whatnot, and then they liked and retweeted it and I died. Uh, okay, so Mason plays Desire, and Mason also played Gren in the live-action Cowboy Bebop that also starred John Cho as Spike, uh, who was Sulu in the Star Trek movie from 2009 that had uh, Chris Pine, um, but also starred uh, Bruce Greenwood as Pike, who was in National Treasure Book of Secrets. Nice. So, and I limited myself to only one because that's all I had time to do this morning. Because I once again waited until the last goddamn minute. We're procrastinators and we love it. I just, I, I, I hate that I work so well that way. <laughs> Me too. So but you know, it's, it's practice, really. It is. Very good, Six Degrees. I loved yours. It ended on one of my favorite, more recent Nicolas Cage movies. So, bravo. Now, on to the last bit. What's been streaming in your bubble? What has been streaming in my bubble? I'm sorry, but a lot of Pokemon journeys. <laughs> <laughs> no apologies needed. Felix and I are bonding over Pokemon. It's been it's Aww. been good actually. Good. Oh, um, that's nice. He ended up staying home from school yesterday cuz he wasn't feeling well. And I took the day off work because, you know, I be me, me being me, I tried to go back to work immediately after dislocating my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, you know, after a while, your arm gets kind of tired and mm -hmm. you probably shouldn't type anymore. And, and then I slept on it wrong. And well, Friday morning came around and, and I'm like, Ooh, I don't think I can work today. <laughs> <laughs> so Felix and I had a day at home and we, we, uh, binge watch Pokemon journeys and we had a pretty good time with that um it was nice to just have a more relaxing time together uh, so that's that's the most recent thing oh that's lovely oh uh, let's see what have I been streaming well so I've been watching obviously the new quantum leap mm -hmm. falling for that show more and more every time I rewatch it <laughs> The season's not even over. <laughs> but to be fair, the oldest caught some random bits of episodes. And so he wanted to check it out. So that's hence why I've rewatched all the episodes now. And now mm -hmm. he's just like, Quantum Leap needs to hurry up and release more episodes. So I love that he's digging oh, this that's cast. Great. Because the main character is played um, by Raymond Park. And so the character, so Raymond is Korean. And so the character is Korean American. So I, I can't help but love that he love that my kid is digging a show that has a Korean American main character. And again, just kind of that representation that the Sandman has and the new quantum leap has is very, 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 very important. So, yeah, I think it's great. Um, other than that, God, I'm trying to think because I just just finished 
with the uh, rewatch of the Sandman for the pod prep. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff I've kind of been rewatching a lot of just kind of put it on for background. Um, oh, yeah, that's pretty par for the course, though. I mean, yeah, right? but uh, oh, Timmy and I started Star Trek Discovery and we're oh. almost done with the first season. Have you seen it? No, not yet. It's on my list. Oh, I am. I I am all in on all the latest Star Treks. We haven't even started- Picard because I've heard mixed things about Picard. Well, we haven't started Picard yet, to be fair, but I am just going to go ahead and assume that I love it since I've always been a next gen gal. So I'm fair. really excited to get to Picard. But okay. when uh, when Timmy and I were trying to decide because we watched Strange New Worlds, loved it. Um, obviously, Lower Decks is a fucking gem of a series. So we watched the trailer for Discovery and we watched the trailer for Picard. So Tim was just like, oh, so my choices are uh, Klingons or Borg. That's how mm-hmm. we viewed them. <laughs> so we went okay. Klingon. <laughs> and I'm, oh my God, I'm so, I'm like I said, I'm all in on all the new Star Treks. I totally fucking love it. We're we couldn't want we didn't watch any episodes like last night because I had to finish Dream of a Thousand Cats, which Timmy hadn't actually watched yet. So we watched that. And then I went to bed because for whatever reason, Friday nights are the only nights I go to bed before like midnight. But yeah, so that's that's what we've been watching is a lot of the Star Treks currently mm-hmm. Discovery. I'm I oh, I love it. I'm really mad at one of the characters, but um kind of saw it coming. But there's been some amazing Jen gasps loudly moments. And one <laughs> Jen screams loudly in her in her bathrobe slash and blanket. Because <laughs> I was very displeased with the moment that happened. And I just couldn't do anything but scream. I can tell. I'm gonna narrate this for the audience, but she's shaking her <laughs> fists right now. <laughs> I think my face is getting red. I'm just like, it oh is. my God. <laughs> Wow. You know, for anything to give a strong emotional reaction, it definitely makes me more interested in watching it sooner rather than later. Um, I suppose the only other thing that I've really watched recently uh, was we finished The Bear on Hulu. Boy, that is that is some accurate kitchen life stuff. Hmm. Um, scarily so. It's I could see a lot of people having like PTSD issues watching this show, oh. like, but um, I really enjoyed it though. Yeah, that's one that we still have to start because I know you and I talked about adding that one to our respective watch lists uh, when we were doing the menu. menu. Yep. I, I was on a foodie kick, so I kept it going. <laughs> I mean, you know me, I love food. <laughs> I love food too. Oh my God. No way. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> as much as like food comes up in our episodes, specifically cheese. Yeah. Um, fun fact about that. It's really interesting how much your food choice is narrow when you can only eat with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> like oh yep yeah laura's down to one hand because she fell and dislocated dislocated her shoulder 
Yeah, the ice finally won around. Damn ice. <laughs> no kidding. Yay, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So she's got a pretty sweet uh, uh, brace sling. sling. They what? call it an immobilizer, but it's basically a sling with a belt. I'm sorry. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is my utility belt, my yes. superhero stuff. Like, <laughs> hey, I could use the sling part as a pocket. I was going to say, maybe. like, can you stash snacks in there? Like, I could sew a pocket in there and like put stuff in it. <laughs> You, you gonna sew a pocket with one hand no i'll have aaron do it oh, okay there you go fair enough <laughs> by me i mean him <laughs> he's better at it anyway. <laughs> well as as laura goes to get uh pockets sewn into her new utility belt i will take we will go ahead and start closing out and i will do my best not to be awkward as fuck about it but no promises so <laughs> laura i want to thank you for joining me today and talking about this fucking amazing adaptation. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, even, even if you don't know the source material, you absolutely can appreciate this show and everything that it has and everything that it gives. My husband doesn't know the, the comics um, or the audio book. And he it's, you can easily jump into it and fucking love it. Knowing the source material or the audio book just really adds to that I think yeah 100% agree yeah and and real quick with the audiobook I've mentioned it before but I love the audiobook I I often call it an audio like presentation production uh because it's yeah. it's beyond that but a lot of Neil's books audiobooks are like that they aren't just straight aren't always just straight him reading there's sound effects or music accompanying music to help kind of build that atmosphere and I, yeah. I love that he thinks to include all of that. Um, there was one audiobook I listened to was like a cave at the mountains or something like that. I can't remember, but it was him narrating and it had some beautiful mus- music accompanied uh, with the storytelling to the point where like, I loved the music so much. I can't even remember what the story was about. <laughs> I only tuned in when the music started because it was so good. <laughs> I have to re-listen to that one, but hashtag ADHD. <laughs> uh, no, you have an excellent point though. You know, it what it I can't say it reminds me of from personal experience, but from like learning about it when I was younger, you know, before TV when families had radios and they gathered around the radios. Like this is what I pictured them listening to. Oh god, yeah. Know, as like family story time. Like that's what that's the feeling it gives me Mm -hmm. and the voice cast is amazing oh my my god God. the voice cast is one of the best fucking voice casts uh fucking ever in any kind of just audio production be it animation well i suppose that's visual as well but you know what i mean i know Uh, what you mean any any form that uses like voiceover work uh this was it's so fucking good and james mcavoy is perfect vocally as dream i think he could probably pull off an on-screen version but now that we have tom we don't need any other on-screen version no we really don't sorry james but um i think yeah coming back full circle regardless of what your medium of choice is to try out sandman whether it's the comic or the audiobook or the show you won't be disappointed Mm -mm. it is 
that just amazing of a story. 100%. So, so yeah. So thank you, Laura, for being here and uh, enabling this conversation. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) And my dorkiness and our dorkiness. And I want to thank all my lovely bubblies for listening today. Thank you so much. Um, And yeah, keep streaming. Bye. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming. It's so dreamy, Wimmy. <laughs>